Osiris. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to The Show on the Road, a new podcast where I interview songwriters, band leaders, and musicians from around the world. My name is Zach Lubiton. This week on the show, my conversation with a multi-talented songwriter, singer, guitar slinger, and activist who may just be making the most powerful protest music of our times, B. Beeman. Sometimes someone comes along who scratches your exact sonic itch, who cuts through the self-centered, angsty folk singer preening pap and actually starts trying to do something about our fractured society and understand it for real. For me, finding B. Beeman's records recently has been a joyful revelation of sorts and an extreme learning experience, too. He rails about our broken immigration policies. He croons about our mental health system. He sings about the continued fight for women's rights, voter suppression, and that's just the first few songs of his newest record. And somehow, he's not preaching at you while he's doing it. He's putting a stunned smile on your face as you sing along with renewed faith in our democratic process and freedom of speech. Okay, look, he's not the first one to do this. Any half-cocked folk music fan knows that Woody Guthrie wrote a powerful message on his guitar in 1941 that said in bold black letters, This machine kills fascists. Back then, the world was beginning to drown under a bloody wave of brutal totalitarian regimes. And while to most, it would seem that America would always be the shining star of freedom and economic opportunity, artists like Guthrie knew that America would never outshake the creeping sickness of right-wing populism, racism, and economic slavery without sharp-minded and catchy-as-hell dissent. And like the sly-singing jesters in Shakespearean courts before them, it was up to roving artists like Guthrie and Dylan to hold their society accountable, to speak truth to power with their pen and their voice and their guitar. It may seem unlikely that a bespectacled songwriter of Sri Lankan descent would be the one to stand up for what makes America truly great. But here it is. For much of our crazy 21st century, B. Beeman has been diligently crafting poetic, protesty earworms with his masterful guitar work and fuzzed-out harmonies, and all along the way gaining some powerful friends and fans, like the late Chris Cornell, who had B. sing with him each night on a tour a few years back. His newest project is called Peace of Mind, and B is releasing the work week by week as an interactive political podcast album. It may be among the most ambitious and bold ways to release music I've seen in some time. Why didn't I think of that? Anyway, I'm so glad that he had me over to his house in LA. And uh, after we dodged some of the dinosaur toys that were strewn about the house, he has a young kid, we were able to talk in his back uh, shed studio. And let's get to it right now. 
Can you introduce yourself to the radio audience? Yeah, my name is B. Beeman. I'm a singer-songwriter, and uh, yeah, that pretty much sums me up. How long have you been in California? Um, I got to California in like 99, 2000. Wow, that sounds wild. 1899. Back in the day. <laughs> and you were raised in St. Louis I'm area? from St. Louis, yeah. yeah. Just outside the city, like west of... As you can tell by my Oakland A's hat, I'm from St. Louis. No, I just... I, I lived in the Bay Area for a long time, um, so that's why I got the A's hat on, which no one can see, so why are we talking about that? But uh, I'm from St. Louis, uh, born and raised, and then I moved out, he- out to the west coast, to the Bay Area, uh, partly because that was the port of entry for my parents uh, from Sri Lanka. So San Jose, California is where they set up roots at first, and then Eventually made it out to um, St. Louis, Chicago, then St. Louis. Yeah, so you're releasing a, your new record in a pretty innovative way as a sort of intellectually investigatory podcast yeah. where you're talking to scientists and <laughs> authors and <laughs> policymakers yeah. uh, and then sort of making your songs come to life yeah. uh, through these different voices and ideas. Um, and I, I did find it interesting that that... that I think the last song you just put out, <coughs> the uh, "Ain't Nobody's Gonna Stop Us," can't stop. Can, yeah. yeah, that's okay. Um, everyone's like, "Well, it's clearly about Trump. <laughs> you know, it's a dictatorship. You know, yeah. forming. You know, right in front of our eyes." Yeah, and you're like, "Well, actually, <laughs> it's not." Yeah, wrote it in 2009 yeah. about the. Sri I wrote Lankan it. About, I wrote it about a, a more competent dictator, I guess you could say, who got his shit done, which was terrible, by the way, by getting his shit done. But um, yeah, Trump can't seem to get out of his own way sometimes, but. Yeah, I wrote this song. It's about a dictator. It's not a would-be wannabe. It's like literally kind of a dictator, authoritarian um, uh, actor. And yeah, it, it's 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 Sri Lanka. It's about the Sri Lankan president. My parents are from Sri Lanka, and we are the the minor ethnic minority there. So Tamil, Tamil. Yeah, um, you probably said that better than I usually say. <laughs> I say it like I'm from St. Louis. Tamil. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, there's like a th. Tamil is how people say it, and I never ever is there say a ta- it. Is there a community here in L.A.? Um, in L.A.? There's, I know quite a few people, but not like a neighborhood or something. Like It's not like a little Tokyo or something like that. Um, but I do know quite a few people, but uh, just like anything in L.A., almost anything in L.A., other than like Caribbean pe- people from the Caribbean, are, it's like there's everyone here. Were your folks musical? Um. No, not real. Like, they didn't play instruments. The only thing I would say is my, like, I remember my mom singing, humming little things when she was in a good mood, like, doing things around the house. Um, humming what? I have no idea. It's like some song that doesn't exist. What is what is Sri Lankan music like? I don't really know. You'll have to... You'll, you Are there f- records that made there's, it I mean, there's the a, journey? There's a lot of stuff that's from films that uh, is, like, classic music that has come from films, not from radio necessarily, but... But from the the silver screen and um, but what she was singing is just like hmm da, 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 whatever, just like la da dee da stuff and but really n- nothing much. My dad would listen to uh, Clue one hundred three K L O U one hundred three point three in St. Louis. Is that all detective music? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> no. Um, it's actually oldies music, and it's like oldies one oh three point that yeah. thing, right? Yeah, you know, they, they don't do that anymore. But um, so I'd listen to Credence and Tina Turner, Chuck Berry, all this oldies Beach Boys and stuff like that. And um, 
but that, and then my dad would listen to NPR the rest of the time. So like that wasn't very, other than that, not too musical. So a lot of the discovery was, was through my brother who's older, a few years older and his friends. And, you know, that was like the nineties. So grunge and stuff was, was big. And I was a guitar player at that, you know, since I was seven. So I took to that quite a bit, all that Seattle stuff. Who, who inspired you to start writing songs? Um, probably Dylan, I guess. I don't know why. I guess Dylan. <laughs> I mean, it's... Or Rage Like, I write songs like a singer-songwriter might, but I also, like, I also grew up listening to heavy guitar riffologists, I guess you could call them. Nobody calls them that. But, um, like, Jimmy Page and, like, Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine, and they're just, like, people who shit riffs I guess you could say nobody says that either but somebody who just creates riffs a lot and that's part of how I write songs sometimes where it's certainly not like I sit at the piano and I write certain things sometimes I might do that but do you have a group of people who play around you or you mostly record stuff yourself I I mostly record stuff myself um I'm a new transplant to LA so I moved from the Bay Area I had a lab uh, played with some folks up there so I just moved somewhat recently so since I've been down here, I have it's been slower going, I guess you could say. But I'd love to play. I've just been, since I got here, I've worked on the album. I thought, ah, oh, done with the album. I can relax, and now I can go tour and push the album out. And it's like, you do have a small child. I do have a small child. Um, probably so, <laughs> needs you very much. <laughs> yeah, I love being home for, with the kid. It's, and that's great. And uh, But then the podcast idea came about, and... It's it's not like making an album at all. It's like making a movie. It feels like and uh, but luckily I'm capable in in, uh, in my computer at editing audio and all that stuff. So it's it's not like making a movie at all for me. That would be incredibly nerve wracking and difficult. But I have some control. Well, there is a cinematic uh, breath to this, you mm-hmm. know, where you're covering immigration, voter suppression, mental health, mm-hmm. you know, and you're talking to Dave Edgers and mm-hmm. you know all these people who are really high, high level intellects Mm -hmm. that can kind of really tell us what's happening in our reality right now. And sometimes uh, it's cool to have songs offset with things that can really tell us what's going on because people, A, don't listen to lyrics a lot of times I find. (laughs) But what? But what the... What when, am I wasting when, my time on? When people actually have a little insight to go with the lyrics, it like opens up this whole world to them. Mm-hmm. You know, can it's, you talk about one, your recent episode that came out? Um, yeah, sure. Um, well, one just came out like literally today, so I was like busting my ass last night and this morning getting out. Um, and that one, the most recent one, you you referenced you referenced one about a dictatorship and democracy. Um, that was episode two. Episode three just came out, and episode three is about voter suppression. And um, I spoke with Dale Ho, and Dale Ho is the lead attorney for uh, the ACLU and their voting rights. And their is he? Sorry, maybe you could cut this together better. Uh, Dale Ho is the leading attorney for their um, voting rights their voting rights project at the ACLU. And um, so he's in all these cases you might hear about on the news, like, oh, Chris Kobach in Kansas is trying to strip voters of their um, ability to register or even vote. And he's the one cross-examining him and grilling Chris Kobach as to what is your evidence, all this stuff. So, um, and it gets dense. It certainly gets dense. But 
but there is a cinematic quality to it, or I try to add that to it with um, stems from from my new record and you know, kind of a deconstruction of the song throughout the episode. And maybe you don't know what that is, but by the end of the episode, I kind of explain what the song is about. I tell you how I wrote it. And what's the song called? Oh, this song is called Eeny Meeny. So it's like, it's just, yeah. give me the first verse. Um, I, well, one of the lines is careful what you say. You never know who's listening. Alexa's got a mind its own. The town that I grew up in is only now confronting all that rotten flesh and bone. Those are the ones What's I can the remember. Course? The chorus is Eeny Meeny, or no, the chorus is Gerrymander, Jerry Curl, Flex Your Wallet, Rule the World, Catch a Tiger by the Toe, If He Hollers, Let Him Vote, Let Him Vote, Let Him Vote. So Eeny Meeny was this song, obviously everybody knows Eeny Meeny, but it has this 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 history of, use instead of the word tiger, a much naughtier word was used, the N-word was used, um, and it was a racist thing that was going on. So I tied that in a little bit in that voter suppression has to do with disenfranchising people of color most of the time. And so I didn't, you know, I just referenced that song a little bit um, and kind of riffed off of that um, to kind of get get my point across. Um, I think your your voice in these songs is really like scratching a particular itch for me right now. Oh, yeah. Of this sort of biting but not bitter commentary and commentary where you can kind of really get to the point but also have a bit of a smile Mm -hmm. too you know Mm -hmm. where there's a playfulness that i think uh, lets us kind of get in and enjoy it and Mm -hmm. not just be like lectured yeah i'm because i think that's super sensitive that's the, the kind of problem a lot of times when you hear people trying to you know get people to mobilize get people to be active, it feels like your teacher telling you to do your homework, right? Yeah, no. And a lot of times the stuff that actually works, it feels like when people get elected is that it's cool to do it and it's <laughs> kind of fun to be involved. Yeah. And it maybe is stupid that that has to be how it works for no, mass it group is, of people. It just is, yeah. But it's like, it's like organic food <laughs> was like an expensive, like hippie thing. And all of a sudden it was like, well, yeah, you should just maybe eat better food, you know? It just becomes, becomes like a thing that you should do, Yeah, you know? Well, I, I definitely, like, it is dense, like I said, and if I just, if it was just a conversation podcast, no music, a lot of people are ADD. I mean, I wouldn't be able to pay attention some of the times, but we comb through the scripts of, of our interviews and there's these mic drop moments, kind of like where somebody says something great and I'm like, okay, music needs to drop there there's an energy boost and you kind of like, it just flows. I don't know. You just kind of, it kind of gets into this when it's a good episode, it's like a thing called a flow state. Do you know that is like mm-hmm. prime, you're primed for performance of some kind. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this, but it's like when you're listening to it, it just all flows and you're not like bored or missing anything. You're just kind of, everything is the music lifts it up when it needs to be lifted up and then it brings it down when it needs to. Um, but it's, it's dense and, and the sound design is, meant to be uh, enjoyed and, you know, not, that's the the sugar with the medicine, I guess you could say, you know, it's just, it's to make people enjoy themselves while they're listening to it and not feel like a, le- like a college lecture, which it kind of would sometimes, because um, there's people who are experts at their field and they're kind of like recounting what's going on and there's people who are storytellers. So the storytellers are just engaging sometimes no matter what. But sometimes the people who are just kind of saying what's going on, you can get lost in it. And so the music helps 
usher you through it. Yeah, and, and this isn't a new thing for you. I mean, you've been kind of covering some pretty dark, you know, political yeah. subjects for most of your yeah. recording career, right? The song I was listening to on the way over here, Up in Arms, yeah. kind of, you know, it's like this deja vu of the civil rights movement yeah. having to renew itself mm-hmm. every generation yeah. and the sort of just weariness of that fact, yeah. you know, like, are we, we have to do this again, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And almost like who's going to be our Martin Luther King and Malcolm yeah. X now. You yeah. Know? I, you, you never know. Um, it's serious, but it's lighthearted at the same time. And that, that's like, that's my MO. Like it's, I mean, you, you just said a song, that has very little of that lightheartedness. That's Up in Arms is a heavy song, and it's just kind of tough, a sad song almost. But most of the time, it's I'm talking about serious subjects, and then, but I don't like to beat people over the head with it. I like, I like the way Chris Rock approaches politics. I like the way George Carlin approaches politics. I like the way a number of musicians have done it. But I'm a little bit sillier than some like well, it's Dylan the, or or it's YouTube. the Shakespearean sort of trickster. <laughs> touchstone right yeah. who actually has the balls to question power where most <laughs> people are sort of like well let's keep it to ourselves yeah you know and then the kind of trickster who can make people laugh but also punch them in the gut to get them to change I mean, their minds you know yeah i mean that's ideally that's what i'm doing uh i hope that's what i'm doing i it's taken a lifetime to get to to this sort of where i am where i can combine things that are serious and silly and it makes sense. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it, as you know, you're a songwriter. You've, like, trial and error, and you know when something doesn't work, and you know when something's not you or, or it's not right. And same, well, I, same thing. I, I, I make – I only keep, like, a fourth of what I write, right? I think that this last election has sort of definitely opened certain people's minds in a way that is good, but also – feels like there's this need for a protest song but that there hasn't been like the hit protest song well, I know? want there to be one but I don't I part of this podcast thing was like I feel like no one does feel like they need that protest song I feel like yeah there's not a it's not the 60s and not everybody's being drafted or you know right. potentially drafted so it's not always personal like yeah it's on Twitter but you put your phone down like that's the way but so that was part of the reason for making the podcast was was me realizing kind of that me just writing a protest album kind of wasn't good enough a little bit at this point in time, which is sad slightly, but whatever, you just adapt. And, and I thought there's a great opportunity. And, and part of it is like, I mean, you guys must have over the years met so many different people, like not just musicians, whatever they are, you know, um, and from all walks of life, creatives and, and intellectuals and writers or whatever. And so I kind of like used my whatever 15 years of, of experience in, in making relationships with people to call on to some of my friends like Dave Eggers. And so it was a unique opportunity. I, I, like, I don't know that anybody else could do it. I don't know that I would be able to do it in another time. I, like It's like the right time. The album is very – has obviously – I'm I'm a political person in a way, but the album would not be the same if Trump was not a pre- our president. It's that it's a, an earthquake in America, basically. So, um, so that was, it's like a perfect storm thing. Podcasts are are crazy popular right now. So and news and and society and culture podcasts are really big. So, so the first episode of of my podcast is all about how 
the madness of our times. And one of the stories is is, is a guy, Glenn Washington, a podcaster, and uh, he talked about how he can't talk to his mother. And she's like a Trump fan, and he's absolutely not. And just this chasm but across from a table. He's from Michigan, right? He's from yeah. Michigan. Um, and... Yeah, I mean, and I was like, yeah, I have that too. You know how many millions of people? You have that too. I was like, this is, like, I've gotten so many responses after that first episode because it was like, it's touching. I mean, it's like, yeah. Like, I was like when he told me that in that conversation that I can't even talk to my mom. We can't agree on facts. We can't agree what this is and all this stuff. And it's like, because she's being talked into one ear and she doesn't listen to me. She listens to her TV, basically. And I was like, yeah. I was like, in that moment when I was talking, I was like, I have that too. And then like it went from there. And I was like, in that moment, I was like, you know how many millions of people in America, 50 million probably, feel that way with somebody in their family? And it's not somebody you can ignore. It's somebody you you love, you care about, but you fucking hate at the same time sometimes. Do you feel a bit squeamish with your parents about questioning this system that you've been raised in, you know, um, in this country that's... Sort of, you know, because I know there's a lot of friends who the parents are first generation mm-hmm. and it's like they're super happy to be here yeah. and to be given the opportunity to succeed in this country. Yeah. And it's like, why aren't you more appreciative yeah, of yeah. all these things that we Don't have? Don't do that. You know, Just put your head down. And yeah, it's like, like, come on. I, I mean, they've gotten used to it. I guess this is my personality. A bit of a smart ass my whole life. Um, not that smart, but a smart ass. Um, and. They gotten used to it. My brother's absolutely not like that. He's more of a good boy. What, is, um, what does he do? He's uh, he's a lawyer. <laughs> he's a good job. <laughs> and um, making the real money. Yeah. And but they're they're very socially liberal. No arranged marriage, which is what the traditional tradition is. No talk of that ever in our in our life. Did they actually fall in love, your folks? I don't know. <laughs> they you love each other. They love each other. Yeah. I don't want to fall in love. It's like yeah. a different thing. It's like when you fall in love with somebody, it's like lust mixed with emotion and stuff. No, but like their generation, it was either probably you choose love or you choose what your parents yeah, yeah. want for you, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I never asked them, are they in love? Because no, it's like, like a weird How do they meet? Well, I mean, if you want to get into the arranged marriage stuff... Um, it wasn't it wasn't Borat style arranged marriage. Uh, it was it was much more civil, and but it's a patriarchal kind of society in a lot of ways. Out, out, outwardly patriarchal in homes, it's matriarchal. But um, so my my dad's father, my tata is what he called him, my grandpa, worked with my mom's brother, her older brother, and they basically chit chatted. This is what you do, I guess. You go, oh, it's like. Fiddler on the Roof, basically, where it's like matchmaker. Um, and so they got it to, got together. But, I, I mean, I think – I'm not sure if they had, like, a choice mm. because especially now nowadays people have choices. They can say, no, I don't want to marry this person. Or you get – you date kind of for a second. Um, I don't know that story fully well, like, how they met. But I know, as it is so often with women – who enter arranged marriage, they did not like it at first. And not because she didn't like my dad. She just, the situation was, you're like, okay, I'm going to go with you. I don't fucking know who you are, kind of. Um, That's awkward. It's awkward. And so, and I've heard that story so many times, not just in South Asian people, but people get arranged marriages all over the place. But it's, it's certainly hard. I mean, there's, 
the male-female dynamic is certainly way different. Um, men are offered a lot more. Was your mom running, running the house when you were growing up? Yeah, I mean, she was stricter. My dad was a lot looser and let me, like, watch bad TV and, like, let me do things. My mom was, like, strict. She did not like that stuff. But they're both very cool about music. They knew I loved it more than basically anything else, and so they weren't, like, they didn't hate on it. And so um, I was lucky in that way. I've heard a lot of people who parents would not allow that to happen. They would be like, no, you're going to go and graduate and get a become a doctor or become a lawyer or all this, the engineer. But they didn't. They didn't push it, and but not that they don't worry constantly. <laughs> Just like, how's it going? Yeah. Um, but the freedom of speech thing was like, I don't know. Like they were, they were pretty loose with us growing up overall in terms of what we did with our outside of school. And I was watching a lot of comedy. I was listening to Chris Rock, like I said, or or Carlin or Richard Pryor and um, Seinfeld, whatever. Any comedy I could get my hands on because I didn't music wasn't a thing like I was like I played guitar but I was like a teenager and I wasn't that good I was like fine I was better and better and better but when did you realize you could sing when I was 20 I started playing guitar when That's I was pretty late late well I was shy I was seven when I played guitar and I was like duck walking around the house and shit but uh <laughs> you have a pretty booming like unshy yeah now style. yeah but before I was like whatever like under my breath singing it and um but then I think in college, I just I was roommates with some musicians. and um, Where'd you go? UC Santa Cruz. Banana slugs? Banana slugs. And so I was listening, I was paying attention to a lot of comedy, and some of those comedians were just not political at all, Seinfeld and stuff like that, or before he was disgraced, Louis C.K. But Chris Rock and how he he's like the master kind of, in my opinion, at blending politics with comedy i don't think anybody did it to a pop cult to infiltrate pop culture that way and so that's like a huge something i always keep in my head a little bit um but then musically i like rage against the machine in terms of politics and people who exercise free speech in that first amendment right and so i always looked up to those people i it was always like especially if you're they were singing about something that wasn't about them it was about I care about somebody else, and I want other people to know what this is. I always thought that was a noble effort, and I didn't know anything about the music business and all that, but I, I knew what I liked in terms of music and stuff like that. And learning a lot for this podcast, and, and um, I have to make sure I say the right things on the podcast when I state facts. So I, I was looking at what the First Amendment really fully entails, and it's like freedom of religion, freedom to kind of create your own religion if you want and not get persecuted, freedom of assembly, freedom to petition government, but freedom of speech is obviously a huge one, and freedom of press. So those things is like kind of holds America together in a lot of ways. If you can't persecute a religion, you can't persecute the press, you can't tell people to shut up, that's huge. That's like, that's probably the envy of the world. Though it is pretty ironic that whenever it's a non-Christian religion that gathers or has people in one place right, yeah. sort of doing things right, yeah. it's like this threatening terroristic moment and you're yeah. like no it's supposed to be all religions are mm-hmm. okay that's yeah. what it says yeah it's yeah. really t- i get really tired with the xenophobia stuff because it's like it's just it, it 
is dumb. <laughs> it's just dumb. It's ignorant and it's exhausting. It's when people book you and review you and and, and mm-hmm. check you out. Do they constantly guess like what you are and who you represent? Uh, no, but I do get like I didn't expect that to sound to come out of you, and I'm like okay. But then like later I'm like that's weird. that's not a you wouldn't say that to everybody. Yeah. Um, I don't care about that shit, but like, like what would you expect to come out of me? <laughs> like Indian voice shaking my head like this. Um, no, uh, but I mean, I don't blame people for thinking stuff like that, but just like, don't say like, why use it? <laughs> Do you have that filter? Or do you not like understand that maybe that's like a little weird. Um, I don't blame, I mean, human thoughts are, you can't stop them, but you can stop your mouth. <laughs> You've had, you know, some, some moments, you know, in some pretty big rooms, right? Yeah. You played Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. What was that like? That was great. Um, a blur. So I played Carnegie twice. One was like the real main room, and then they built a new room, which is beautiful. Um, I don't know how big that is, but it's not the the old, old Carnegie Hall. It's just right adjacent. But the time I played, they both sound beautiful. The time I played the old, original Carnegie Hall, Famous original Carnegie Hall is um, a Prince tribute, and that was crazy because there's so many people, so many like I don't know if you've been in one of those th- those rooms where it's like packed with like celebs, like, and I'm not in those rooms very often. I've been in there like three t- three moments where there's like a show where celebs are abound, but this one was on steroids. This was like Chris Rock was there, D'Angelo was there, uh, Elvis Costello, Booker T. Is that where you met Chris Cornell? No. Uh, I met Chris on oh, Jules later Holland. with Jules Holland. Right. Later with Jules Holland. Soundgarden was on. And I like we were talking about grunge. They were my literally my favorite band when I was fifteen um, or teenager. And they were on they happened to be on the same show that I got on and I was just like, I have to go say hello. And I did. It was nerve wracking to go do that because Sometimes you meet your heroes and you shouldn't meet your heroes because they're not very nice, but these guys were great, and um, I'm glad I did, and I hung out with them a little bit. Chris was, like, recovering from alcoholism and and things, so he just left after the show, but I hung out with the rest of the band, who I was ecstatic to do. (laughs) I was ecstatic to have a beer with them. And then, like, nine nine months later, his people called my people, and he was doing, like, a solo tour. And he asked me to go out with him because on that show I played solo. I played this song called Gutter Snipe, and it's a it's like heavy guitar strumming, uh, very rhythmic and and kind of a, about as big as my voice goes. So it was definitely meant to impress. And I guess Chris was impressed. So he asked me out for that tour. It was like a two and a half month tour North America for all his solo shows, and it was amazing. It was crazy. Um, I had never been that up close to somebody. Who, who was like that famous and how like life is like that meaning you're almost in a prison mm. not not that bad but you you have to stay in lanes of life you got a security team Se- yeah he had a security guard always and i don't blame him people were weird people got weird like can i get that can i get some of chris's like can you cut off a piece of chris's hair like i'm like dude <laughs> not really but can you bottle this saliva <laughs> yeah I just want some bottled sweat. Um, but yeah, people would ask weird things and kind of get invade space and stuff like that and get a little bit aggravated and crazy. So I was like, oh, wow. 
I don't know if I would like I would like to be like that famous. That seems like hard. Um, but he was always he was chill about it. Always um, he was always very nice. And um, did his fans dig your stuff? Yeah, I mean, I went out. <laughs> if they didn't, I, I made sure that they liked me at the end because I would uh, go out and play a song with him. And I he asked me. You sang like a stone with him, right? I sang like a stone, a cu- like probably ten times, but like forty times we played Hunger Strike, mm. and that was amazing because I certainly learned that when I was fourteen years old on guitar, that riff, and there's the Eddie Vedder part, which I would take, and yeah, it was like a dream come true. It's crazy to even think about. It. I haven't thought about that for a while, but. Um, I remember when I emailed him first about it, the song we were going to play, I was like, he's going to pick something off his solo record. I don't want him to pick something off his solo record. <laughs> I don't want to have to like... Give me look, one of the hits. Yeah, I don't want, yeah, I want to do a hit, and I don't want to have to learn something like from scratch. And I was like, please let it be this. And so I just was like, can we do Hunger Strike? Like, I was just like, like you don't get what you don't ask for or whatever, right? How so, does the chorus of that go again? I'm going hungry. Oh, you want me to say <laughs> I didn't do the high parts. He would belt. And he's like, yeah, it's crazy. Like that's some serious like man belting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he. A lot of people say I remind them of of Chris Cornell, and he was somebody I copied a lot when I was little or younger. What happened after that tour? Did you see something change for you, or or is it? Oh, for me, career wise. Yeah. Um, honestly, not really. <laughs> not a lot. I mean, you know, you know how that stuff goes. Like you're like, oh, this is. This is going to be big. And then the thing that you're like, oh, this is nothing. You're like, oh, that was actually big. Well, that's the problem with, I think, the opening slot syndrome where you're like, yeah, I mean, I'm in front of all these people and blah, blah. But those people are there for Chris. I'm the greatest opening act to ever live. And it's like it's a pretty stark reality when you're like, no, no, no. I'm going to see if those people, any of those people will come and see me. I mean, maybe like 10 of them. You know, it's like some. But, you know, um, I definitely made fans. I'm not going to say I did, like, but yeah, they're there. You go to a show, you want to see the guy and it's hard to remember what the opener was like sometimes. When you, you know? were touring, were you mostly touring alone or with a little group? On that tour, I was solo. He wanted me solo. Like after that. Oh, I had a group. Yeah, I play. Uh, ideally, I'm playing with a trio or quartet and like drums, bass, keys, guitar. I mean, that's ideally how I, I, I would want to do it. I mean. The succession of my albums are, the first one's very Blood on the Tracks inspired, Dylan, and the second one was... That was just Beeman, the... Beeman, yeah. yeah. Very Blood on the Tracks inspired, like even the tuning, like his guitar tuning on that album, I was like, I'm just going to like learn some song, and I ended up doing Gutter Snipe with that one. Um, and Is the song Cookbook off that, or is that off Cookbook? Cookbook is off of that. Yeah. I named an album that is no longer in print called the cookbook but it didn't have that song. that that song like i played it a few times as i was cooking the other night <laughs> and the the luca brazzi and me start our own brasserie it was like nice. i need to know what that brasserie <laughs> is all about do you get what the would joke? you be what would you be serving do you get the joke yeah yeah i mean it, you gotta like uh yeah that's godfather i was gonna say goodfellas but that's godfather yeah um but yeah that song is all about corruption and people landing in a white collar jail and not having to really pay for their crimes for bankrupting their their employees of their Do you remember pension. the words of that verse uh the brasserie thing yeah. um i'll be soaking it in slic- slicing garlic so thin it liquefies in the pan that's a straight up 
<laughs> I mean, that's like I, when I play that line. Brought to I, you by Cordon Bleu. <laughs> yeah, when, uh, but that's like Pauly Two Nuts or whatever for fucking. I don't know yeah. his name is from Goodfellas and uh, or the Godfather. Is it Goodfellas? It's the mafia, you know, genre. Yeah, but they're like, they're in a white collar jail. They get to make pasta sauce just the way they get wine. They have everything they they ever had and outside in outside of prison. Anyway, so I'm glad you like that line. But when I sing that line, a couple cackles usually pop out from the crowd, and then silence from the rest of the people. But a couple people really like it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I write that cookbook song. There's a couple songs like. I mean, it's it's pretty often where I take the first person of an evil person, and I find that to be embodying the anti-hero. Yeah, because why do you think you dig that so much? I don't know. I, I was talking to somebody else about that, and it's like something like an actor playing like a juicy evil role. Sometimes it's fun. Like you're just like I can be deliciously evil or whatever the hell you want to talk call it, but um. It's fun. You can be mean, but it's tongue in cheek, so it's not hurting. Whatever. I don't know. I, you can be kind of like joyously nasty sometimes and tell absolute truths is what I love about it. I can be like, like I was the the song on this episode three of this this podcast piece of mine is "Eeny Meeny." It's about voter suppression, and I was like, it was like the last song I wrote on the record, and it was kind of fast, and it was just like throw shit at the wall and see what sticks. And it's like kind of the most honest three minutes I've ever written. Like every line is true because I'm singing it from a somebody who's taking away somebody else's right to vote. So I'm I'm the person taking I get to enjoy all the all my time. I'm I'm comfortable. The people down there are not comfortable. That's kind of a I love taking that role for whatever reason. Um it's theatrical for sure, I feel. Um, so that's helpful. And like authenticity, like not, obviously it might not be authentic, but are you being authentic to yourself? And sometimes when I inhabit other people's character, I'm not I'm not method acting or some shit like that. I'm like doing that, but a lot, half of it is like literally how I feel filtered through whatever lens I want to do. So it's like I get to put myself, my personality into it and my thoughts i do have to craft it a certain way but i don't think i'm like just playing a game or something i'm not just like i'm gonna like i said it's not like method acting or something like that it's 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 maybe more of an exercise i guess more importantly if you were to start a brasserie <laughs> with a, Sing Sing, a, yeah. a super villain of your choice who mm. would it be Ooh. Like Genghis Khan, Mongolian oh, grill, wow. you know. <laughs> the Genghis Khan from the only, not the real Genghis Khan. I want Bill and Ted's Genghis Khan to open up an all-you-can-eat Mongolian barbecue slash brasserie. And it'll be terrible. I will never go, but I want that to happen. All right. <laughs> what is your go-to comfort food? Um, has anybody ever said nuts? <laughs> I'm asking you. I'm not asking anyone else. <laughs> um, no, nuts is not my Almonds? comfort food. Um, there's some Sri Lankan food, like dal, I guess is, is Indian, an Indian name. In, in Sri Lanka, you call it something a little different, but dal is like lentils and rice or something like that. Just you, it makes you feel like, it makes me feel like somebody's cooking for me kind of sometimes and just memories. What was your mom's go-to uh, 
favorite dish? Mm. I remember making like fried chicken with her, like breading it. Like, sounds. It, you did grow up in Missouri. Yeah. I like toasted raviolis. Anybody who goes to St. Louis, eat some toasted raviolis. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't realize it was a thing. It's a thing, yeah. Toasted raviolis. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Do they put like chili on it? No, this is what It's like do. a Cincinnati thing. I was like, no. the pasta with the chili That's on Cincinnati. it? That's Cincinnati. Like, why? I know all the regional cuisines of the Midwest. You got your Culver's in Wisconsin. That's just fast food. But um, no, in St. Louis, there's toasted ravioli, and I'll tell you what that is. It's like a regular ravioli, but they bread it, deep fry it to make it healthy, and then you dip it in marinara sauce. It's kind of like a, what is it, like a mozzarella stick kind of breading. But it's a ravioli filled with beef or cheese, but usually like beef. I could be into that. It's so good. It's like game day, like... I'm going to get so fat today, food. But my mom, I remember making, I remember work, uh, cooking with my mom and like, you know, dipping the chicken and breading and all that stuff. Do you sing your new songs for your daughter? Does she, does she get She them? tells me to shut up all the time. Not, not, she didn't tell me those words, but she's like, daddy, no, like, <laughs> stop. Like, I play guitar. Like, all these things changed. Like, good eating. All these things. She's got I used an attitude to play. Now. Yeah, she's got an attitude. She's now. just like doesn't like it. Like she'll get over it, but like she'll go to. I can't bring her to a show. She'll she'll scream from the audience like something's wrong. Like I'm about to like spontaneously combust or something on, on because I'm on stage. She's like, no, like screaming at me to get down from stage. So we don't bring her around very much anymore. <laughs> well, hopefully she grows out of that, but. It sucks. I want to be one of those. Like she maybe not. She's musical though. Like she'll come in here and we'll play drums and and keyboard and stuff. Um, but she doesn't like hearing me play. I'm not. Is your shit. wife still impressed by your musical talent? Oh, she knows it's there, but she's not impressed. <laughs> because I feel like there's this. I always say there's the curse of the musician's girlfriend, where they fall in love with you. Because you're pretty good. Yeah. And then they fall out of love with you because it's too much. <laughs> you know? You mean this is all you do and think about all the like, time? That song you played six months ago, I don't need to hear it again over and over again. But you don't like, know about shitting. But that's how it works. <laughs> like when we play a show, I have to play this song. Yeah. yeah. Has your desire to tour changed a lot since you've had a kid? Oh, yeah. Quite a bit. I mean, I toured a lot the first three years of her life. Uh, one year has gone quite a bit more, but, um, like how, how many days? Half the year? Yeah. I mean, one year more than that. Uh, 2015 was more than that. That's when Rhythm and Reason, Reason came, and came out? Yeah, yeah, so I was doing, pushing that, and then, um, but yeah, it just, it, That's gonna it makes me kind of sad. Not even just like, I'm sad, I'm missing my daughter, I, that obviously is a thing, but it also makes me sad, like, I'm not around. And I don't know what that does to her. Like, yeah, like, could you call her on the phone and would she know it was you? Oh, yeah. And we could FaceTime, but she doesn't sit still or whatever. That's not fulfilling for me and yeah, uh, always. I mean, right? Sorry, I shouldn't say it like that. That's not fulfilling. But she just literally doesn't sit in front of the phone. So she'll, like, go run away. Um, but, yeah, I miss her terribly when I'm on the road. But I have, I've been home a lot uh, these past couple years. Um, so... I've definitely enjoyed that. It's, I feel like I'm not missing out on anything. Do you have kids? No. Yeah. I, I mean, when you're gone, you 
it's easy because you don't take care of a kid. Like I wake up at 11 p.m. or 11 a.m. or whatever, you know, I could go to bed late, get up late, and I could drink if I wanted to or whatever. But when you're home, it's like it's work, first of all. You got to like take care of the kid. It's like 20 low grade work for 24 hours a day. Um, do you have to do other things to keep your brain active when you're not playing music all the time? Uh, I don't really like think about that really. Um, I read, I read the news and stuff like that. Um, so I can, I keep up my literacy skills. Some sides, some side hustles. <laughs> Everyone's got side hustles. I, I, I mean, I have some irons in the fire, I guess, but, um, there, one's actually like writing something like a script sort of thing, but I don't, it's, it's a pretty infant stage, but, um, yeah. Well, it takes a lot of, I think, understanding and support from a significant other. Yeah. When no, my you're wife an artist is amazing, yeah. and you know that your your income as a supposed breadwinner is super fluctuating. Yeah. You know? It sucks sometimes, yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's daunting. It's also kind of like emasculating because you're like, yeah, yeah I don't know what's happening in th- <laughs> for three months, you know? Yeah. And you don't really want to like – well, should I look into this or that? Because you're in mind after a certain point. You're like, I'm an artist. I'm a creator. This is what I do. No way. I'm going back, bro. No, but it's like. Yeah. No, I get you. But it's also like nobody wants to talk about it. Yeah. Really, no, I know? remember when I was like, I was on a tour opening for uh, a band. I won't say who it is, but uh, I, was like, I was wrapping up the tour and, I, and they're like, what are you going to do? And I was like, oh, I'll probably just go home. I think I'm going to start driving Lyft or something. And then, like, the room went, like, kind of, like, silent for yeah. me. And I was like, it's not a big deal. I yeah. <laughs> like, what, do you have, like, a gambling debt? Well, it's, well it, I didn't know things were so bad. But, no, it's like. People think, like, well, we're out there, so we must be, like, making it. Yeah. It's, you know? And it's like, I've, I've heard lots. Of, I mean, there's, like, the people who are famous aren't always rich. The people who are rich aren't famous. And it's like, the world is complicated. It's like, every everybody's life is Everybody's working at it day by day. and um, But, yeah, you're absolutely right. Nobody talks about it. All right. We're going to do a little creative <laughs> exercise. Okay. I want you to think of the first thing that comes to your mind mm-hmm. when I say lustful. Um, Trump. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I mean, he is dominating our minds these days. <laughs> I can't Not think. in that way. Trump is going to be my next three answers, by the way. Silence. Golden. That's corny. Everybody says that shit. Nocturnal emission. <laughs> Teenager. Heart attack. Death. Broken. Fix. Where are you uh are you playing anywhere coming up? I have shows in April, uh April seventeenth through twentieth on the East Coast, New York, DC, and Boston. Um and uh, New York is at Rockwood Hall 2, number 2, uh, if it's anybody knows room. Yeah. And then uh, two new rooms I've never been is um, City Winery in Boston and D.C. We just played that a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. That's fun. Cool. And this eight-song concept album mm-hmm. that is on the Peace of Mind podcast, yeah. Critical Frequency. Yeah. I'm just going to plug everything for yeah, you. Good. Um when is all of that going to be out, like on Spotify, to listen to? So um, each week, where today is a, uh, episode 
three dropped uh, on a Friday. And so each week we release the single from the podcast along with it. And then by the end of the series, the full album is released on March 22nd. Uh, to, but the singles will add up, and by the end of it, it'll, it'll all be there. Um, and, um, yeah, check it out, and hope you like this interview, but I hope you like my podcast as well if you check that out. It's really cool. I've been really digging it. If you could interview anyone dead or alive for your podcast, who would it be? Well, there's two people. One's living. I really wanted to get this dude, Ai Weiwei. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, he's like a political artist from China, and he's a dissent, a dissenting voice within China against the government, not just like for certain things that have happened. Um, and so I, I really did want to get him for this, and I was like trying to get a hold of him, but that didn't work out yet. Yet. Um, dead, um, there's a painter from Mexico um, a con- I think he was a t- contemporary of like Frida Kahlo and, and uh, Diego Rivera. But his name was Juan Paul Orozco. Mm. Uh, he was like a mural artist. And I do know his last name is Orozco. I don't even know if I'm saying that right. O-R-O-S-C-O or Z-C-O. Anyway, um, great, amazing artist. He did murals in Mexico City at the Capitol buildings. You can check them out. They're crazy expansive, very political uh, but at the same time, just pop art and uh, uh, it's kind of like folk art and mm. it's political because it has to do with things that are people are dealing with. But it's not like it's 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 a full breadth of like a bat. It's basically like a scene of a battle for the soul of Mexico, and it's kind of just breathtakingly beautiful. Uh, so I'd love to, I would love to interview him, but he's passed away. If Bob Dylan showed up in the studio right now. What would you ask him? Mm. Do you still experience joy, Bob Dylan? Hmm. That's what I would kind of ask him. All right. Honestly. I mean, that's fucked up sounding, but he doesn't seem very joyful. I mean, he keeps putting out work like yeah. crazy. And he tours, but he doesn't yeah. seem like he is enjoying it. Maybe. Seems like he needs to make money. Like the work is the joy, maybe. He's maybe. just like a working stiff yeah. like this is his job yeah yeah no there's there's that and the blue collar thing for him for sure i don't know what's called sweet i think we should play a song now <laughs> okay i'll try a song try one what's it called it's a new one it's not the new album it's not released quite yet um it will be in a few weeks called giant it's called giant and it's technically about gender inequality and um it's about experiences with my mom and my wife and just thinking about my daughter and stuff like that so and just uh, kind of the glass ceiling and breaking through that and that kind of that kind of a thing awesome She's a giant A giant among men There's no denying She deserved it more than him 
tyrants Their hands on everything And they'll all be crying When they kiss the Well, she's a giant, a giant among men. There's no denying she deserved it more than him. Hey, gladiator. Take a swing Lay down your armor And let it float downstream Well, she's a legend in my old hometown. Her story grows and grows each time the sun goes down. Hey, gladiator. I'd like to hear you sing Lay down your armor And let it float downstream Na 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 na
to Mr. Beeman for having me over and you can uh, go to his website Beeman.com that's B-H-I-M-A-N.com for his music and his tour dates and uh, check out Peace of Mind his podcast that talks to authors and scientists and writers each week about a different topic and each week you get a new song of his new record it's pretty unique so check it out in case you were wondering the Dust Bowl Revival is starting to record our new record that's happening in March very exciting And uh, we will be celebrating by rolling all over California, playing the music of the band for the 50th anniversary of their first few records. So check that out, dustbowlrevival.com. The show on the road is hosted by me, Zach Lupiton, and produced by the handsome Hawaiian Chris Jacobs with support from the Bluegrass Situation team. If you love the show on the road, please leave us a review or rating over at itunes.com slash showontheroad. Tell your friends. The show on the road is a part of the BGS Podcast Network. This is Zach Lupiton. See you on the trail. Bowie, Dylan, Marley. You've heard the names and maybe you've heard their songs, but what about the stories behind the records that made titans of music like these so universally loved and important? Join me, Josh Adam Myers, host of The 500, as each week I go through a different album from Rolling Stone Magazine's 500 Greatest Albums list from 2012 with an incredible lineup of comedians, actors, and musicians talking about how the music has impacted their lives. New episodes of The 500 come out every Wednesday. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.